So have you ever wondered why the Bible is so confusing to understand? Or why Genesis is at the beginning and Revelation is at the end? You ever been curious as to why there's a New Testament and an Old Testament? Or what does that even mean? Well, I'm sure these are all questions that some of us have all asked at some point. So that's what Bible school is all about. We're going to go through the Bible and we're going to talk about the semantics of the why, the how, and most importantly, the who. If you'll ride this out with me, we're going to go cover to cover through the Bible and dig deep and see the mysteries that God has revealed to us through this beautiful love letter that he calls his word. You've just tuned in to Bible School with Reverend Kojo. What's going on, good people, and welcome to Bible School. I'm Reverend Kojo. I'm so excited you you decided to join me here today. Uh, We are in Revelation 20 today. Boy, we are really, we're close. Oh, we're getting close. (laughs) We're getting close to finishing Revelation and heading back to Genesis and making our way through the rest of the Bible. But we are in Revelation 20. Now, Revelation 20 um, is probably one of the most controversial text to biblical scholars. You know, I said that about it when we were studying the mystery of Babylon, uh, that is controversial. It is controversial, but it was controversial, um, politically, uh, revelation 20 is more controversial to the church, uh, because it, this chapter in particular, it divides those who study revelation into two camps, two big camps. There's, there's a little small third camp, but two big camps, uh, and and it puts it, there are some people who believe we are premillennial, which means they believe that there's going to be a rain, real rain, and and I'll make that plain and what that means a little bit later. Uh, but there's a premillennial rain, uh, and so some people believe that that we are premillennial in in the place that we're living now, and so that these things that we're going to talk about today are yet to come. Uh, but then it also divides us into another camp. Some people believe that we are all millennial, which means that they believe that everything that we're about to talk about in chapter 20 is allegorical. And really, most of what we've studied here for the last, what, 21, 22 weeks, well, no, 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 28, 30 weeks, uh, they believe it's allegorical as well. Now, um, and so they people who hold an amillennial uh, viewpoint, they believe that this is not going to literally happen on the earth, that he is ruling and reigning in our hearts and, and all this stuff. Now, there is a third camp, and the third camp, they they believe that we are post-millennial. Uh, there are not That's a lot of people who mouth. believe this. <laughs> and I absolutely am not one of those people they believe. Uh, but there, there are a few people well, who believe God, in the post-millennial who believe that no. this has already taken place and we are in the millennial reign. Um, and that Jesus is not reigning from a literal throne on the earth, but he's reigning from heaven and things are getting better on the earth. I know that there are some optimists out there, but I just can't, I, I can't fathom somebody being serious about that view, but there are people who hold that view. Um, and that's what it is. Now the millennium, the word millennium, we're going to use that word a lot. You will not find that word in the canon of scripture. Okay. It is a modern term. Millennium is, you know, it means a thousand years. And since this is going to talk about the thousand year reign of Jesus Christ on the earth, uh, uh, you will hear a lot of scholars, a lot of preachers, a lot of teachers of this book 
they we we refer to this period that is talked about in Revelation twenty as the millennium reign or the millennial reign, um, and so. Uh, but you will not find that word in the canon of scripture. Don't pull out your concordance. It's not there. Uh, but it is a term that has been coined to describe what Revelation 20 uh, seeks to describe. Okay. Now, I want you to think about this. There, There is more prophecy on this millennial reign, millennium reign, uh, than anything else in the Bible. There is a lot of prophecy surrounding a lot of things. But there is no more. There's this is the, there is so much prophecy surrounding this reign of Jesus Christ or God in the flesh on earth, taking David's throne. Uh, and it, remember, Gabriel promised that Jesus would sit on David's throne when he came to tell Mary that she was pregnant. Um, and see, a lot of people want to confuse this reign to be confused with his father's throne in heaven. But Gabriel specifically said he would reign on David's throne. David's throne is not God's throne. Um, and, you know, they're both great thrones, but God's throne, of course, is much more higher. It's much more. Uh, <laughs> it doesn't even compare. You know, I know we, we speak really highly of David, but David served God and not the other way around. Okay. The destiny of Israel comes into play right here. This is this is the 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 I guess the re uh, transcendence. This is the re immersion of Israel. Here we go again, uh, because he's to reign on David's throne. In order for him to reign on David's throne, you remember David not only reigned over Judah, the southern kingdom, but he reigned over Israel after Saul's death. Um, after a little bit of fight and stuff with uh, Saul's family. Um, and so he he's going to reign in the original Israel, not just Judah or not just the northern kingdom, but he he's to reign on David's throne, which means that all of that kingdom has to be Israel and that it's not Palestinian and that there are not Muslim temples sitting where he's supposed to reign, that he's going to reign from his temple, that he's going to be of the order of Melchizedek, both king and priest. So he's going to be Jesus. He's not going to be somebody else. He's going to be Jesus and he's going to reign. So it's, it's, it's one of those things that I guess we could allegorize. And it's probably why a lot of people, in order to wrap their minds around it, um, they come up with this idea that we, it, it, it must be allegory. He's surely not going to reign. Oh, we can feel good about it. He's reigning and ruling in our lives. He is the, the priest and the king of our lives. But I get the inkling that all of this in this chapter, in this book, is not uh, for the sake of allegory. Why would he go through all of this trouble to make all of these letters and these, these, this prophecy uh, match and to make history history as we know it, but future as they wrote it. Oh, that's deep. <laughs> uh, but, but, but how, how, why would they, he take all of this time to craft such a message system that we know to be his word for it to be allegory. Okay. Now I, I, I want to, I want to, I want to remind you because there are so many people who believe this is allegory. How so many churches came to this conclusion that it would be allegorical. Um, and it really started around 300, 400 A.D. on Augustine, all right? And, you know, I think I've said it before, and I hear Chuck Misler say it all the time, um, and I've heard uh, Chuck Smith say it. I've heard uh, several, several, say, several scholars write it and say it, but there is a trail of blood 
from Augustine to Auschwitz. Um, and around 300, 400 AD, Augustine becomes a Christian. Uh, but and and under Augustine, he wanted to change the word. And he, so he told the priest to allegorize this Jesus is reigning in your hearts deal. Because as long as the people think that he's going to come redeem them, that doesn't make me look good. Why would I serve a God who's going to dethrone me? So he says, allegorize it. Make the people believe that, that this is not going to really happen. And under Constantine, he sanctioned Christianity. Christianity and by the time Augustine came along, um, they came up with this millennial view. And we see this whole idea from from the time of Augustine until now that it has not done much good. A, it has is breeded a irreverent and I guess unhealthy view of Scripture. And then on top of all of that, it has put us in a place where. Um, People don't understand the Jewish heritage of Christianity. Now, we're not Jewish. And we're not bound by the feast and the laws and the rules and the festivals and all of the stuff they do. We're not bound by that stuff. But it helps you understand what God is saying and, and what he's doing. It helps you understand better the prophecies that which have been fulfilled and that are to be fulfilled when you understand the Jewish culture. But when you throw that away and then you allegorize the story of God, that makes God a liar. And I have a problem with that. I'm going to be honest with you. I have a problem with that. When we make God out of a liar or we paint him to be just a crafty storyteller, we try, we, it's like we take away his power in a sense. We, we, we as humans don't have the ability to take it away, but in, in our lives and in our influence and in our belief, we take away his power. So then we breed a, a generation of people who are faithless mm. Come on, we 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 breed of a, a generation of people or generations or millenniums of people who are faithless, um, or who have a stunted view of faith, or what faith can do. We like to say that the faith of a mustard seed can move mountains, but nobody believes that it can happen. Uh, we 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 breed a, a sense of people who are so uh, pessimistic, but they call it realism, and I'm guilty. Um, that we, we come to a place where we do not believe to take God at face value. We don't take God and believe that God is going to do what God said because now we have allegorized scripture and we have said, I don't have to read that portion of the Bible. I don't have to study that portion of the Bible. It, it doesn't matter. I don't, why don't, I don't want this. I don't need this. I don't, I don't desire this. I, I heard a, ch- a pastor say recently uh, that he, he, doesn't, he doesn't want the church Christ to come back. He's enjoying what's happening here. On earth, and and here's the truth of the matter for me. If you a, are a real Christian, I mean saved, and you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, the rapture ought not scare you. And staying on earth should not be exciting because what you have coming is going to be way better. It's like for me, I have I have nice things. God has blessed me immensely, but if if nicer things are on the way, I will make room for nicer things. Okay, if if I have I I just bought a new computer. Um, I feel like I'm always buying a new computer, but I just bought a new computer, a new laptop. I have a really nice laptop. It was state-of-the-art when I bought it. And although it's still functioning, and it's and, and the gigabytes that I, I, the RAM I put on it uh, when I bought it is still standard because I upgraded it so, I made room 
and wiped it and made sure that everything was backed up so that when I got ready to get rid of it so that I could make room for the next thing, um, there was a space for it. And you can't tell me when something better is coming that I'm not going to prepare for such. I got a new truck this summer. Uh, as I was anticipating getting the new truck this summer, what I did is I took the car that I was driving and I went and had it detailed. I cleaned it out because I was anticipating selling it. And since I knew better was coming, I was making room for what was coming. And so I went and had the other car detailed. I went and made sure that the oil was changed in it. I made sure that I put new tires on it so that when I got ready for the next thing, that I didn't have the old thing hanging over me, that I wasn't so in love with the old thing that I had, that I had issues letting it go. This idea that earth is good tells me that we haven't done a study into how much better heaven and the presence of God is. And that tells me, and I know I'm on a tangent, but, but I, that tells me that if we don't know how good heaven is, means we haven't spent any time in the presence of God. And, 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 I, and how, could I, how, how could I be so bold to say that? Because the presence of God enraptures you in such a way that it, you, you don't want to leave. And it makes you crave more and more of his presence. But if you have fallen so in love with sin that you cannot get into the presence of God and it cannot enrapture you and you cannot worship without worship music and you cannot feel his presence without being around people, it tells me that you don't know the glory of his presence. And then you wouldn't crave a, a reign of Jesus Christ. You wouldn't crave, crave to be enraptured in his presence. You wouldn't crave to be raptured out of here because you have become so in love with what you can see that you don't know what is real. All right, we're moving on. We're moving on. Uh, but like I, I was mentioning that, that Gabriel promised this uh, to Mary, that he would reign on the throne. And it, it, it kind of comes from the Lord's prayer that Jesus would then pray several years later. Um, where he says, thy kingdom come. This is where we are today. We're in Revelation 20. The kingdom has come. Okay. Psalm 2 kind of alludes to it where he says, I'll make you sit right here until I make your enemies my footstool. And then I'll send you down. Um, you know, at the, we're at the place where every knee has to bow, where he is, he is going to be God. And, and I want us to also re remember that the entire creation is going to be changed. The entire creation is going to shift. The curse is going to be lifted. So the curse of, um, the curse of, um, the, the curse of Genesis is going to be lifted, uh, for the first time in the history of the earth, as we know, it is going to be listed. The entire creation is going to be shifted. Um, not just the earth is going to be shifted. Not only just the humans are going to be shifted, but the entire creation, the animals, the way that they even function. And maybe the way that they look, the way that the trees function, the way that everything functions, the curse that was placed, because we think of the curse as the curse was on us. It is on us, but the entire earth was cursed because man sinned. So all of that is lifted and we seeing Jesus is, is coming. The entire creation is redeemed. It goes beyond our souls, beyond our being, beyond our flesh and in into the entire creation. And I believe this is what Paul meant when he said, for I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us for the earnest expectation of the creature awaiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. For the creation was made to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him that who subjected it in the same hope because the creation itself 
also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption unto the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. And this is now. Okay. This is now. This is now. We're what we're talking about today is where is now. Now I want you to also as we before we dive into the verses that chapter 20 is is more so a continuation of 19, much like 17 was a continuation. 18 was a con- continuation of of 18, 17. So I want you to be thinking in the same vein that we were thinking along the lines of last time. Hallelujah, salvation and glory. We're talking about they were in heaven. Remember, 19, they were in heaven. And as they were in heaven, uh, there was the wedding supper. And then there was a supper where there was destruction on the earth. But that was from heaven. And, and he has come back down to earth. And now we're in a new earth. Okay. Remember, he throws them into hell. He throws the, the two into hell, and, 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 and things have been destroyed. Now we are in heaven. We are on earth. We're out of heaven. We're on earth. Verse, uh, chapter 20, verse 1. And I saw an angel came to come down from heaven, having the key to the bottom of his pit, and a great chain in his hand. All right, so this great chain is in his hand. It's a d- direct continuance from Revelation 19. All right. It's, I mean, when I say a direct continuance from, from Revelation 19, remember uh, when we were, when we were um, like the last few verses, 20, it was like, and the beast was taken, and with him the false pro- prophet was wrought with miracles before him, and with which he did deceive them that received the mark of the beast, and them that worshiped his image, these both were cast alive into the lake of fire, burning with brimstone. Okay, so they, they're cast into the abuso or hell, or one of the dimensions of hell. Remember verse 21 at the end of 19 said, And the remnant were slain with the sword. So those that were left over were killed, and they were slain with the sword, and they were set above him that sat on the horse of so Jesus, uh, which sword proceeded out of his mouth. So he spoke. He, he kills them by the speaking of his mouth, and with the fowls were filled with the flesh. So, and then the animals start to, you know, eat off, feed off of them, right? So that's a direct continuance of where we are today. Here we are today, and we're in verse 1. And the angel came down from heaven, having to keep the bottom pit with a chain in his hand. Okay. This this theme of this, this bottomless pit, or this abuso, shows up seven times in Revelation. All right. Verse 2. And he laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil, and Satan. And bound him a thousand years. All right, so so there is no question of who we're talking about. The person that that is being chained, that is being bound, tied up. <laughs> There's no question. He he. If, if there, you know, he when he describes the devil, he says that old serpent, which is the devil, and say. So it doesn't matter what name you call him by. We talking about the same person. He's bound for a thousand years. Now some people believe that this has already happened, and Jesus is ruling. From heaven and things on the earth are getting better on earth. And, and, and here's the key thing. I think I heard Chuck Smith say it. That if if that's the case and Jesus is reigning from heaven, Satan's chain is a little bit too long. And I just want you to sit here and think about this. There's too much evil taking place on earth. If Satan is absent and he's bound and he does not, he can't move and he can't do anything. Uh, his chain has got to be a little bit too long. You watching children getting stolen. Modern day slavery is happening in the United States in more ways than one. People are being taken from their homes and their cars uh, to for sex slavery. There are children at the border who are in 
cages. Come on. If Satan is bound, there's no way in the world. There's no way in his chain. His chain is too long. So that tells me that that, that small group of people who believe we're post-millennial and things are getting better on the earth, things are not getting better on the earth. And if you think they are, you're probably a little delusional. Um, when we look around this, I mean, there's corruption everywhere. And, and it's not, there's not even a, a good place to look if we're looking to the earth. Now, if you're looking to the author and the finish of your faith, then boom, we gotta, we have, we have somewhere to look to. But in looking on the earth, things are not getting better. And to believe that things are getting better, you are delusional. Now, I will say this. I don't think that things are necessarily worse. I think the problem with today is that we can see them. We can see them. We see um, on the news and our Facebooks and our Twitters, our Instagrams, YouTube. Uh, you can go live in the middle of a fight. You can go live. Um, a couple of years ago when ISIS was all over the news and they were beheading people, they, they could make videos and they went live and you could see it. Um, and so when we think about that, um, that, that brings me, that makes me believe that things are not getting necessarily worse. They're just being exposed. They're just being exposed. Okay. Verse three and cast him into the bottomless pit, shut him up and set a seal upon him that he shouldn't deceive the nations no more till the thousand years should be fulfilled. And after that, he must be loosed. A little season. So that's proof positive to me that he's not bound right now. All right. That's to me, that's proof positive. He is not bound. Um, but that's also evidence that the deception of the nations has nothing to do with who's in the White House. And I know that we like to place a lot of blame on the White House, but it has this proof positive. It has nothing to do with who's in the White House. It has nothing to do who is at the Vatican. It has nothing to do. Hmm. Has nothing to do with who is emperor of what empire. It matters not who is sitting on anybody's parliament. It doesn't matter who's sitting in anybody's, who's sitting on Capitol Hill. It doesn't matter who's in the United Nations. It doesn't matter who holds whatever position that 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 it was Satan. It is the power that works behind the scenes that allows evil to take place. It it we can't even hold who uh, Saddam Hussein or Hitler responsible because it is the power that works within them. Just like you and I. It is the power that works within us that does good and pushes us toward destiny and pushes us toward promise and allows us to carry out the will and the way of God. It is the powers. We fight not against flesh and blood, but, but against powers and principalities. It is not a physical thing. We, I know we place a lot of, a lot of strength and a lot of, um, time on what we can see, but it's not what we can see. It is the spirit behind, Ooh, come on. It is the spirit behind what is happening. It, it is very much so a spiritual world. We are both spirit. We are spiritual beings in a physical casing. And often we think we are a physical casing that does uh, physical things and, and we act on our own emotions. But the truth of the matter is that the influence is not of our own fruition. We have the ability to choose good or evil. We have the ability to choose God or Satan. We have the ability to choose right or wrong. We do have that ability, but it, at the end of the day, it is who pleads the best case in our hearing and in our hearts that we choose. Okay. Now we can, we can study scripture. We can study Isaiah 24. Um, and, and we can come to the conclusion that he's not bound alone. His demons are with him. So in this millennial period, what we have here is evil is removed. 
Satan and his demons are in abuse in the abusos in back in hell where they belong. They are tied up and they are not to be removed. He has placed upon them a seal. He shut him up. He shut him up and he's placed him in the bottomless pit and he's placed a seal upon him. He can't get up. He can't move. He can't see. He can't. He is so bound that there is nothing that he can do. Even in his working and his conniving and in his attempts to escape, he is uncap- unable to do it. Remember the seven seals, the seven sealed title deed or the letter that had the seven seals on it and they looked in heaven and nobody could open it but one he has placed a seal on him a seal that nobody can open unless he's god and so there's nothing that satan can do to connive his way during this this a thousand year period on earth as jesus christ reigns on the earth not a thing all right not a thing but the scripture says he after that he must be loosed a little season and I, I'm, I'm inclined to believe that he's going to prove a point he's going to prove a point that even in a thousand years of worship and, and, and perfect peace that man's heart would even be evil or inclined toward evilness. Because you remember it's when Satan was loosed in the garden that men went left. As long as Satan had not reared his ugly head, man was fine dwelling in the presence of God. And he understood how great and wonderful it was. He, he understood how much of a privilege it was. He, he was so in, excited about what God had placed in f- for his, his destiny and his, 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 his might and, and the things that were his and where he was to go. He had found in himself an opportunity uh, to, to, to live in perfect peace. And he gave it away at the word of a stranger. Or rather, she gave it away at the word of a stranger, and he gave it away at the, at the word of one he loved. But they gave away all that they knew. All that they knew at the word of a stranger. How? But I want you to notice this. The first thing that God does to create a perfect world, before the earth passes away, before the heavens pass away, the first thing that he does is that he ties Satan up. Where Satan is loose, hell abounds. Where Satan is bound, you get heaven on earth. It's simple. We don't need a whole bunch. And here, here, here's the truth, y'all. Hear me and hear me well. We don't need a whole bunch of policies. Universal health care isn't going to do it. The right president isn't going to do it. This rule, that rule, this law, that law. Creating this policy and that policy, we can have policies for days, but as long as Satan is running rampant and men's hearts are not turned toward God, it doesn't matter. It makes not a matter because the ways of man are inclined toward evil. But in the presence of God, we are made perfect. Mm. We are made perfect in the presence of God. Even And I want you to think about this and be honest with yourself. Even those who of us who worship God in spirit and truth, we have an inclination toward evil and we fight it day and night. Those of us who fast and tell ourselves no, we get better at it, but there is an inclination toward evil. Why? <laughs> Ask the question. I don't know. All right, let's move on. Verse 4. And I saw thrones, and they sat upon them, and the judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God and with had and, and which had not worshiped the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands. They lived and they reigned with Christ a thousand years. Remember, I told you a couple of chapters ago, it was never the will of God that we would 
the church would reign on the earth it, until Christ came. This is this is where the church is ordained to reign. Remember, they reign. Look, 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 right here in the text. He reigned. They reigned with him. Those who never took the mark of the beast, who were beheaded for the witness of Jesus, who and for the word of God, and which had never worshipped the beast, and neither his image, uh, neither had they had the mark on the people who were faithful to God in the midst of calamity. Those who drew drew near to God, and 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 the and the peer pressure, the inherent internal pressure, the in nature of man toward evil still was faithful to God. It is there. They get to live and reign with, with Christ. That is the that is the blessing, if you will, of the Christian. It's one of the blessings of the Christian, if you will. Um, it is it is the blessing. It is um the peculiar place we get to live. We get to reside. We get to have our being is right there in the presence of God. We get to rule and reign with him. And that's the thing. I want you to see, notice this, as we want to have a Christian government. And I, I don't, and I'm not against a Christian government. I, I would prefer that over many things. Uh, but as we desire to have a Christian government, it will never be right. It will never be perfect. It will never be just. It will never be fair. It will never be what it's supposed to be until we are reigning with Christ. We can't reign. We can't reign ourselves and say we're in the image of Christ because we're incapable. We don't have the ability to be just. We have a justice system, but our justice system is not just. It's not. It's, and, and we want we place the blame on things like racism and prejudice. But the truth is, in our human nature, we don't know how to not be. And it's not until we reign with Christ. It's not until we are, we are walking with Christ. It's not until he's leading and guiding and, 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 and not from afar, but up from up close. That we won't have a government that is right. Period. I want let's let's jump over to Daniel twelve really quickly. Let's read to, to Daniel twelve. Daniel twelve, uh, verse one, and he says, "At the time, at that time, Michael shall stand up, and the great prince which standeth for the children of thy people, there shall be a time of trouble, such as never there was since there was a nation even to that same time." And at that, that time, thy people shall be delivered, every one that shall be found written in the book. And many of them that sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some of them to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And they shall be wise. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, and they shall be wise. And they that be wise, I apologize, shall shine as the brightness of the firmament. And they that turn many to the righteousness as the stars forever and ever. So he's reigning this thousand years, right? And we can tie this to this, that those who are not reigning at this point, some rise and are in heaven and have come down now to reign on earth with Jesus. And the others who rise... They're going to rise to shame and everlasting contempt. Those are the two resurrections. Okay? we got two resurrections here. But these two resurrections, <sighs> either you're going to heaven or you're not. And that not does not mean that you go into such an abyss. Okay? Either you're going to get to reign on, on earth with, with God or you're not. But that does not presume that you, you are going to just die or you end. Uh, when we think about death, there are two deaths. There is the separation from the soul from, to the, from the body. Okay, everybody goes through that one. 
And then there's a second death, and that, that other death is the separation of the soul from God. That's, and so here's what here we see. When we talk about everlasting life, that's what we're talking about, okay? We talk about everlasting life. It is the soul never having to depart from the presence of God. It is a soul never having to be separated from God. It's the soul never having to leave his presence. It's the soul being tied to God that where he is, there you are. Okay. Um, and so I want us to keep in mind this idea of two resurrections and this idea of two deaths and this idea that there is a hell. Okay. And this hell has multiple dimensions and we're going to deal with that as we continue. Verse five. And the rest of the dead lived not again until a thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Now, the multiple resurrections will confuse you if you think about them as an event and not a category, okay? Remember, the dead in Christ, they rise with him, okay? But, but that's confusing, all right? That's confusing if you think about it as an event and not a, a category, all right? Because the, Christ rises after his 40 days, at, at right before Pentecost, right? Yeah, after he's walked the earth, he rise, Christ rises. Um, and then when he tells the church to come up here before all this hell breaks loose, that would be still the first resurrection. Okay, he's gathered the church. Okay, when we think about um, the the witnesses um, earlier in the chapter, in the book, remember the witnesses that came down and then they rise in front of their enemies. That would still be um first resurrection that's not second resurrection that's first resurrection all right um you know and so you know we see first resurrection in john 5 and acts 24 15 and luke 14 14 the word resurrection in greek means to stand up again um and and so you had to be standing before um and that tip that now i want you to say this that doesn't work if this is allegory you had it, it is a standing up <laughs> it, it is it is it is it is it, it is a literal removal you're literally getting up out of the grave and you're going somewhere else so uh this first resurrection the the rest lip that of the dead live not again until the thousand years were finished this is the first resurrection all right so those who loved jesus those who were faithful to him get life and they've been reconciled, re resurrected, standing up again, living again with Christ. Those who did not stay dead until the thousand years were finished. That doesn't mean that they're done uh, yet, but there's still there's still something that is to come. All right. Verse six. Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection on such the second death has no power. Oh, so there's there's a separation here. Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. All right, remember, we just dealt with this death. On such the second death has no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. Now, what's interesting here, this is the sixth beatitude in, 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 in Revelation. Remember I told y'all there were seven blessed statements in Revelation, uh, and we're going to see the seventh in 21. Uh, this first death, this deal of the first death, like I just told you just seconds ago, is a separation of the soul and the body. The second is the soul from God. In Jude, he speaks of being twice dead. Our second death has already been taken care of. All right. The first death is a release from the sinful nature. Oh, follow me. The first death is a release. It's a release. The second death, you don't want no parts of it, okay? 
don't want any parts of it. But blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. Blessed is he who was faithful and struggled through this test. That's why the first death for us is a release. Because we have been tested a while. Our time on earth was a test. And, and as we have endured the test, that first death of sorts, as you separate the soul from the body, it now has is freed from the lustful, the sinful desires of the broken flesh. All right. You remember Paul made the statement. He said the, the, the soul is willing, the, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. It's a release from the flesh. Verse 7. And when the thousand years are expired, Satan will be loosed out of his prison. So after this thousand years, Satan, who has been bound, is going to be let free. Now that makes me ask the question, why would God <laughs> let Satan loose after a thousand years? But that, may, that also makes me want to pose the question, why did he let him loose the first time? Why didn't he just put him in the abuso from the get-go? And I want you to see this. Even when Satan is in direct, well, when Satan is in direct defiance of God and he is trying to work his way and he thinks he's so wise and so crafty, he is still glorifying God and proving God's point. God still can craft and move and make Satan out of a liar because it's who he is. Verse 8, and shall go out and deceive the nations which are in the four quarters of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle, and the number of whom is as the sand of the sea. All right. So he's back to business as usual. This thousand years had passed up, living in perfect utopia, heaven on earth. God has done marvelous things. Living, living in perfect utopia. Now Satan is back, and he's back. To, he's back to deceive the nations. He's back to do all these things, and and he has gone out, and he's doing things. Now some people want to try to make Ezekiel thirty nine fit right here, but it doesn't fit because because they don't in in Ezekiel thirty nine they don't come from the four corners. Okay, they're coming from the north. Now. Gog in Amos 7.1 is the title of the king of the demons. So Gog and Magog is also, they were countries uh, in, in Old Testament. But in Amos 7.1, we know that Gog is the title of one of the demons. All right. So he should go out for, to deceive the nations, which are the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to, ba to battle. So he's going to go get them and he's going to get his influence. This his, his king of demons. They're going to get together and they're going to try to go back to war. Just nutty. <laughs> they're going to, they're going to be, he's, he's going to be, he becomes an idiom for the reader. God, my God, God becomes an idiom for the reader. He sets the stage for this final Armageddon. Satan has gotten free and I guess he gets out and he's still mad. And you know, you know, and let's just be real. If God has the ability to put you in hell by speaking, and to seal you where you can't talk and you can't move and you can't go nowhere. And can't nobody lose it but him. And then he lets you out. Are you really going to declare war on him again? Like, <laughs> he's, he's trying, telling you, dude, you are not capable of beating me. You can't do it, bro. 
but he doesn't get the message. He doesn't get the memo. He doesn't understand. And since he doesn't understand, he's going after his own thing, trying to make his own thing work. And we're going to see yet again that it wouldn't work. But I want you to see that Armageddon is not the final battle on planet Earth. Armageddon is the final battle on Earth as we know it. Okay. So Satan is going to try to set the uh, stage uh, for another war. And y'all remember how the last war worked. <laughs> the whole army of heaven shows up and Jesus speaks. <laughs> it is over. Is this really what you want again? You know, that that's really where I am. That's really what you want to go. That's where you want to go again. And I guess that's what he wants to do. Verse 9. And they went up on the breadth of the earth and encompassed the camp of the saints about and the beloved city. And fire came down from the God of heaven and devoured them. So Jesus is ruling. We're with him. We're with him. We're in Zion. He's ruling from Zion. The beloved city is Jerusalem. Fire comes now. So Satan is making his plans. <laughs> Satan is making his plans. And God is like, nah, we are not doing this today. So he rains down fire from heaven and devours Satan and his plan. Devours him. <laughs> you know, whew. fire next time. <laughs> throws down fire and that's crazy he shuts it down shuts it down but I want you to see this Satan comes down and he deceives the nations so Jesus has been reigning from his throne alright he's been reigning from his throne He's we're in perfect peace we're in perfect utopia life is, is how it's supposed to be There is, it's, it's great it's wonderful we're living in a a way that is amazing. And as we're reigning um, with Christ, Satan gets out and he begins to deceive the nations. I want you to think about this. At this point on earth, all we have are people who have seen prosecution, who have confessed and believed Christ, people who know the go- the, the gospel. And their offspring. So while we're there in the glorified body and, and we're living, the offspring have never seen, they've never had to make a choice for Christ because Christ was all they knew. What you think about this? Never had to make a choice for Christ because Christ was all they knew. And Satan comes back on the scene. And he deceives them. Now my curiosity, surely the, the people who were saved from the hell we knew and made a choice for Christ don't get deceived. But what your children, your children of this period. And you think, oh, I want you to think about this. This is, I would imagine that population is probably bigger than it's ever been on earth. Because nobody's dying. There's no sickness. There's no curse. It's, poss- it's, it's possibly like Eden was expected to be. The world uh, view, you know, that we would we would be intrinsically good and we would be great, um, and everything is fine. And Jesus is ruling, and there's only light. Satan shows up, and men get deceived. And my presumption would it would be those who were born in the millennial period, who never had to make a decision for Christ, who never were rescued out of hell, who were never rescued from hell, who were never rescued from living 
uh, who who didn't eagerly anticipate his return, those who did not have to make a, a choice for Christ, it would be my presumption that those are the ones who receive, but I don't know. But here's the thing. He comes and he deceives the earth. I know we like to believe that we are intrinsically good. We like to believe that we come into the world, we look at babies, oh, they're just so pure, so innocent. But we don't teach our children how to lie. We don't teach them to steal. We don't teach them to be rebellious. They come into the world knowing how to do that. We have to teach them to be good. We like to say that nobody teaches them how to be evil, but they come into the world evil. We teach them to be good. We train them to be good. And when we allow them to go their own way, they be, they, they become hellions. <laughs> they become hellions. Because God never cures the heart. He replaces it. That's what happened when you got saved. He, he, didn't, he didn't cure your heart. He replaced it. And given the opportunity, we rebel every time. We, we, we do it every time. And, we, we're, and it's not just when we're up or when we're down. When we're up and you're the CEO on top of the world, that guy has an affair. And then the same guy, if it's in him at his lowest point, will go to the, the affair. The poor man who can't feed his children steals. But the guy who's on the top of the world embezzles. Same thing, different terminology. We're incurably wicked. Incurably wicked. And the, the perfect environment just reveals the heart of man because we to sleep well at night we tell ourselves we're a good guy to sleep well at night we go oh, I'm good I'm better than the next guy I'm just as good as the next guy but if you're just as good as the next guy you're evil I know we don't want to hear that we're stubborn and we're pig-headed and for some reason we think of ourselves more highly than we ought and it's the most difficult difficult doctrine for us to diagnose we, we, we don't like to talk about it and we don't like to deal with it, but man is depraved. Oh, we're sinful. We're sinful. We're sinful. And we are, we are backwards. And you can have young people born into a world where Christ is all there is. And after a thousand years, Satan shows up and they get to see. You've lived in truth your entire existence and you get deceived. But then there's good news, verse 10. And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are, and to be shout and there they shall be tormented day and night forever. So Satan was bound for a little bit. His guys are still there. And now because of his deception and everything that he's done over the, the years and years of his existence and, and his separation from God, he's finally cast down into the fire of lake and brimstone where he will be tormented forever. Finally, he gets a, a, permanent, a permanent place. Now here's my thing. I want, I want to make this very clear because I know it's a lot of people who don't think that hell is real. I think hell is a fairy tale and you ain't going to hell. Whatever. Hell is a place. You don't go into an outer abyss. If you reject Christ, you go to a place where you burn and you're tormented every day, day and night, forever and ever. Period. And, and I can't speak for anybody but myself. And I grew up very Christian. 
Um, but I came to a point, probably about three, four years ago, where I had to do an introspective look on myself, and I said, I can't go to hell. Now, I had confessed and I had believed, but I said, I, I need to take to do a, a relook and a reevaluation on my salvation, but I just need to make sure that I don't go to hell. And I, I would encourage you to do the same thing. Take a deep look. Am I really connected to God? Or am I connected to what's convenient? Would I be deceived if something that looked better, sounded better, showed up? Would I be deceived? Or would I kick it with Jesus? Ask yourself that question because if the answer is no, I do something about that. I do something about that. And I want you to think about this, okay? There's no such thing as annihilation, all right? There's no, and I know, I know, there's there's no such thing as annihilation. He, he, mm. You may be killed, you may be sent to hell, and you may be separated from God, but you still exist. Think about it like this. We're software, not hardware. Hardware, I can go and I can crush it up, tear it up. Software still exists, all right? Software still exists. And so here's the thing is you can say of yourself, I'm going to enjoy my life the best I can and I'm going to do whatever. And when I die, I die. No, baby. It's either I get life or I die. I get life or I get torment. And I know we don't like to talk about that. That's not popular anymore. But I think if I don't tell you the truth, what happens when you get to the judgment seat of Christ? And um, he sends you into the, to hell. And that's not good. So, But the, the, the good news is... It's just not a, the way to get to heaven. It's not about anything that you do. It's not about any, it's not about any pedigree. It's not about any degree. It's not about any good deeds. It's not about anything. The thing that gets you into heaven is that you believe that Jesus is Jesus. You believe that he is who you said he is. You say that I believe you are who you say you are and you believe it in your heart. And that is how you get into heaven. It's not because, because we are incapable of doing any good. We do good things, but we are innately evil. And the presence of God in our lives makes us better. It does. It does make us better. But even even to that, we still desire things that are not good. And we make the st- mistakes. And then we, we sometimes think that God is God. We think that we're doing good things and we're doing bad things. And, and we're deceived because there is a great deceiver. All right. Let's move on. Verse 11. And I saw a great white throne and sat that, that sat on sat on it. For whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was no place, there was found no place for them. And I saw a great white throne, and and him that sat on it, and whose face the earth and the heaven fled away. So when the, uh, the people show up and they start talking about saving the earth, there's no need to save the earth. And I'm, I'm one of those people who believe I, you leave some things better for the next generation. I do believe that, but 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 in the long game, <laughs> there's not really a reason. We don't need to be planning to move to Mars. <laughs> we don't need to be planning to try to place ourselves somewhere else because when the time comes, there's no need to save her. <laughs> How do I know? How do I know? There's The, the heaven and the earth is going gonna, is gonna to flee and, 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 and there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth, but and he's, he makes it even more plain that he says it here in verse 11. He, he alludes to it in verse 11. But in Isaiah 65 and 17, he says, he said, for behold, I, I create new heavens and a new earth. Heavens, plural. 
and the former should not be remembered nor come into mind. There won't even be a reason to think about it because the new one is going to be so great. He's going. He's 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 remodeling. And see, sometimes when you remodel, you know how you go in and you just tear some stuff up and you replace. But sometimes when you tear stuff, sometimes when you remodel, you knock the whole house down <laughs> and you put something else on the lot. That's what he's going to do. He said, you're not going to even have a reason to think of what used to be. You think what you have. Who You think what you have right now is good. Just wait till what I'm about to do. You think the earth that you like, you like it now. No, just wait till I like You thought the Great Barrier Reef was my handiwork. Let me show you what I can do this time. You thought that the mountain ranges were so all striking. And you thought that the way that I made a sunrise and a sunset was amazing. You thought the things that I did were great. But let me let you know that there are some, there are the things that I'm about to do, the things that I'm about to open up, the things that when this earth passes away, that what I'm going to replace it with will blow you so far away that you will have no reason to even recollect what you thought was amazing. The thing that you thought was amazing. Hmm. Something else, isn't it? While we're here in Isaiah 15, let's go to 18. Let's read a little bit. He says, but, but be ye glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. For behold, I create uh, I create Jerusalem a rejoicing and her people a joy. And I, I rejoice in Jerusalem and people in my people for joy in my people. And the voice of weeping shall be no more heard in her nor the voice of crying and there shall be no events of infant of days, nor an old man that has filled his day has not fulfilled his days for the child shall die a hundred years old, but the sinner being a hundred years old shall be accursed. So there's still, that's one of those other things that there's going to be extended longevity is like the early days. A uh, hundred is still a child. Come on now. A hundred, a hundred is still a child. They're, think about the longevities are going to be longer. And there, 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 there are several other verses. There are several other passages that talk about the earth being destroyed. But that's one of those things. Verse 11 is alluding to, it's, it's alluding to this earth being passed away, a new heaven, a new earth, a new day, a new, a, a new, something to look forward to that's going to be better than what we've ever imagined. It's going to be a place that when we think about it, it's, it's going to blow us away. It's going to all strike us. And so there's no reason to covet and try to, be so taken aback with what we have. It's a lot. Trying to save the earth is a lost cause. And I'm not. I'm not. I'm not being against being green. I don't think there's a problem with being green. I like fresh air. I do, and I think as long as we're here, we ought to take care of it. But this whole "let's go to Mars" thing, there's no point. There's no point. Period. Verse twelve. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and the books were opened, and another book was opened, which was the book of life. And the dead were judged, judged out of the things which were written in the books, and according to the works. All right. So there were multiple books. There are multiple books. So there, there are books. Um, but one, one book was open, and it was the book of life. The, and then there was another book that was open. And it was judged out of the things that were written. So there's a book of works and there's a book of, of, of life. Can I be real with y'all? My my name, I believe, is written in the book of life. And I don't I just hope that my works are thrown into the sea of forgetfulness. <laughs> well, my bad works and that my good works uh would be written down so that I can get a couple of crowns, maybe, hopefully. Um now I want you to see this. It makes the statement that the dead were judged out of the things which were written in the books. Okay, so the dead, those are those who are separated from God, those who are the second death. That's who they're talking about when they said the dead. All right. Um, they were judged according to their works. But we, 
We, we who are written in the book of life, we're not judged according to our works. I want to make that really, really clear. It does not matter what you do. It's about who you know. Okay. Now I want you to notice that this is not a judgment for salvation that they're talking about. The works cannot save you. I know there's a, a TV show that comes on television called The Good Place. The Good Place talks about that if you lived good, you, you make it to one place. And if you live bad on a Richter scale, it's not a Richter scale. It doesn't matter if your works outweigh one or the other. Uh, this this can save you. This is a judgment um, of sentencing of sorts. It is, it is everybody does not get the same. Some people get a little bit worse than others depending on how much bad you did. But it's not a matter of... It's not a matter of, am I going to get salvation? It's not a, it's not a matter of salvation. It's a matter of how you're going to be tortured. Yeah, that's rough. But here's the thing, y'all. You can escape this. This is so escapable. You, this is, it's, you can escape. You don't have to even go to this judgment day. This, you know, there's a, there's, there's a judgment day that I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to that I want to be part of, but I want no parts of this. Can I just be real with you? Don't want any parts of it. Um, so there is a place that you can go there. Thing, there's a place you can go that is going to be marvelous. Um, and you don't want to be part of this. I'll just make that clear enough. Now, but I want you to know that everybody who is not saved is sentenced. Okay. The way you get around this is about who you know. Do you know Jesus? It's not a matter of church attendance. It's not a matter of uh, charity, um, serving a charity. It's not a matter of being good. Do you know Jesus? And if the answer is no, we need to ask that question. Is he really worth not having? All right. But he's finally dealing with sin here at the great white throne. Satan has been permanently banished. And as Satan has been permanently banished at the great white throne, he is dealing with it. So when Christ died on the cross, what happened is he paid the price for the sin. And so when you carry the name Jesus, he pay, he carried the price for the sin. And if you did not, if you don't carry the name Jesus, what happens is you are now responsible for the debt that you rang up. So when I say salvation is not a matter of works, all of us sin and fall short of the glory of God. All of us sin in some matter. Uh, it, it's a matter of how much sin you did and, and by the amount of sin you did, you are sentenced. But because we all have a depraved way and all of us sin in some form or fashion, there is a sentence. But the name Jesus, that covering Jesus, that protective mechanism, that insurance policy, that relationship that is Jesus can save you from that moment. Okay? Whew. Now, that's a lot, right? Now, verse 13, let's move on. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and the dead and hell divided up the dead which were in them, and they were judged every man according to their works. All right. So to be judged according to your works, and I think I've said this, is super dangerous. I mean, super duper dangerous. It is. Um, it's a place you, I don't want to be, obviously. Uh, but they're judged according to their works. But the thing is that most of us crave that. Oh, we crave it. We crave it, but we don't understand it. Because we don't want to be judged according to what we did wrong, but we definitely want to be credited for what we did right. 
Okay. So the judge, most of us, you think about it. You were like, oh, I want, I hope he gets what's coming to him. We want to be judged according to what we do, but we, we look the other way on the bad that we do, but we don't like to look the, the other way on the bad that others do. All right. So the sea gave up the dead, which were in it and the death and the hell delivered up to the dead, which were in them. And they were judged every man according to their works. So some people have a really spooky view of this. All right. You remember when Jesus calmed the storm and scripture says he rebuked it. There is a belief held by some that the sea may have some other spooky stuff that's going on. And it's going to release some stuff around this. And it's going to get really, really dark and kind of grungy. Um, I don't know if I hold that view and I don't know if I care enough about it to hold a view on it. Um, maybe it's spirits living in the sea. We know that there are angels assigned to every portion of the, of the creation. Maybe there are demons assigned to every portion of the creation too. I don't know. Um, but there, there are some that hold a really spooky view of, of that. And if you're interested in that, I would encourage you to look into that on your own. All right, verse 14, and the death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. I mean, he's very, very frank right here. He's, he's not even giving you room to ask questions. I want you to understand this, though. Hell is not a place that Satan rules. It's his home, but it's not where he rules, okay? Hades. All right, let's deal with this. Death and hell were cast into the lake, like the lake of fire. So if death and hell were cast into the lake of fire... Um, how does that work? How does that work? Because I think we all think of hell and we just lop it all together where there are, there are levels to this. Okay. Hades is a temporary abode of the unsaved. That is a place of torment, uh, in the meantime, that's where they were the thousand years. That's where they are now. If you die and you don't have Christ, you go to Hades first. Okay. Death too is temporary. It is a separation. All right. Um, it is, it's a separation. So death too is temporary. It is, is an, an event. It is a separation. It is a state of being, but it's, a, it's an event. And from there, those two things, so that Jehanna, that separation and those who are separated are placed. So the whole act of being separated from God, mm, that's a blessing. The whole act of being separated from God is thrown into Jehanna, which is the lake of fire which is a permanent place. It is the death of deaths and it is a permanent lake of fire that is tormenting. Okay. So that's the second death, that separation from God, that separation from soul, um, that hell, that, that, that place of torment that they're in for just a little while, um, or the thousand years or however long they are. Cause you may have been there longer than that. They're all thrown into Jehenna. No opportunity for redemption. They had the opportunity and, and they blew it. Thrown right there into Gehenna. The same place Satan is. And they're tormented there. Not for a thousand years. Not for a little while. But forever. No hope of redemption. No hope of reconciliation. Because opportunity after opportunity after opportunity is given. Verse 15, and whoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. The book of life is not a book of deeds. It's a book. It, it, it is it's a book of life. It's not a book of deeds. Your name is listed. You get to heaven, period. You can't put yourself there by what you do, but it's about who you know. 
Now I know Gehenna is a hard concept for us to wrap our minds around, but it is a witness to the righteousness of God. It is a witness. You can't afford to pay for your sins. And if you're going to try, he'll, he'll let you try. But if you decide to try, you can't leave. You decided to pay, you know, to pay up. But I think this is why scientists and mathematicians try to use coefficients and vain research to understand their humanity and to understand creation because they cannot wrap their minds around the righteousness of God or the deity of God or the being of God. And just as much as heaven is a picture of God and a picture of his perfection, hell is a nod to his righteousness. It's so far from his presence. It's so far from who he is. It's so far from what he does that no matter how brilliant you are and how many coefficients you can solve, you'll never grasp it. I often like to tell the story I heard about um, George Washington Carver. George Washington Carver was a saved man. He would get up early, early in the morning, and he would go for walks. And when he would go for walks, he would talk to God. He would ask God, like, God, help me understand the universe. And God would say, no, George, your brain is not big enough to understand the universe. He'd go for a walk the next morning. He'd say, God, help me understand the earth. No, George, your mind is not big enough. And he, George Washington Carver was brilliant. It's not big enough to understand God, help me understand. Help me understand. Help me understand the seas. George is not big enough. Help me understand the forests. Help George, your, your mind is not big enough to understand it. Well, Lord, help me understand the peanut. And that day, he goes back to his lab, and he begins to break it down into polymers and fibers, and he begins to develop things like peanut butter and peanut oil and and all types of different things that come from the peanut. And, and then I would imagine the same thing happened when he was talking to God. And God said, help me understand the sweet potato. And he comes up with all these different uses for the sweet potato. Things that we would have never imagined. Things we would have never understood. But he comes to such. Because he, un he asked God, let me understand. And because he, God let him know that he couldn't understand, God revealed to him just an nth of his being. An nth of his creation. I say this because there are men who have devoted their entire lives to disproving the deity of God, and they will go in circles their entire life because being out of communion with God will never point you to God. Uh, will never well, being out of communion with God will never point you to truth. Being in communion and in search of God will point you to truth. Trying to understand how He could not be is not going to point you there. Um, it's not going to point. It's not going to point you in a direction that will be fruitful. So unless he starts to prime your heart, and I've, I'm watching this happen with a couple of folks, he starts to prime your heart. He starts to prepare your heart. He starts to fix your heart. He starts to move you in a direction that uh, allows you to receive. But as long as you're obstinate in heart, and you're trying to prove that he is not. At some point, there's got to be a turning point. At some point, you've got to be like uh, Lee Strobel and say, you know what, maybe there's something here. Maybe. But there are men who spend their entire lives trying to solve coefficients to explain things that only God can understand. Hell points to, points to the righteousness of God. And I may never fully wrap my mind around it, but it clicks 
it clicks. God doesn't send, and, but I want to make this very clear. God doesn't send people to hell. People choose to go to hell. The truth about God has been widely known. You can look around and you can see there's an intelligent creator. The truth about Jesus may not always have always been around, but it's, it's very available in most parts of the world. If you're looking for Jesus, you'll find him. You know, if Abraham, who didn't grow up in, in, a, in, in a Jewish tradition or a Christian tradition, because be, Jesus came from him and Jews came from him, but he, if he could reverence the fact that God was, or his great-grandfather Enoch could reverence the fact that God was, although never being introduced to him, and God making himself known to them because they were looking for him, I believe that if your heart would look for truth, God will send somebody to show you the truth. He did it with He did it with those two. He 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 does it over and over again. He does it with Paul. Paul was obstinate and pointing the wrong direction. He strikes him down on the on the Damascus road, and then all of a sudden Saul starts to pray. All of a sudden Saul starts to pray, and then God sends somebody to give him make sure he gets on the right track. He sends Ananias. If you plunge your heart toward God. He'll send somebody to get you on the right track. Now, whether you accept that that, and you begin to walk right, that's not still up to you. God doesn't send people to hell. People choose to go there. And by the time the, the verdict comes down, they're like, no, don't send me. It's too late then because you made the choice. You made the decision. It's like when I run a light. I made the decision to run the light. <laughs> and if I get a ticket for it, I made the decision to run the light. Period. I know it's, we don't think, we're like, oh man, but we decided to make the decision. What you do is, is all on you. Well, good people, we are two chapters away from finishing Revelation, and uh, I've been really enjoying this. It's, it's really done a great number for my faith and my understanding of God and my understanding of, of this. Hang with me. We're going to finish this. We're going to hop back in Genesis, and then we'll be in Exodus. And we're going to see how long we're going to roll through this thing. And we're going to see how God blesses us. Y'all be blessed. I'm Reverend Kojo.